0: Hi everyone, I was talking to myself for the last five minutes and I didn't realize I didn't hit the go live button. So I've been streaming into oblivion for the last five minutes. So now that I look stupid for Friday morning, let me rewind all of this. Okay, that was awesome. So good morning my name is kevin i normally know what i'm doing and today i apparently don't so welcome to the what's up webcast sorry about that i've literally been streaming this for the last seven minutes and i didn't hit the go live button on youtube so yeah you know what day it is so anyway my name is kevin I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here at Skywatcher USA here in North America and this is the What's Up webcast where we generally know what we're doing. Um, We do this every Friday 10 a.m. Pacific right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel and they are generally live like right now and that's why I can't edit any of that out and uh, with that being said Anytime you want to go on and check out any of our videos, uh, they are saved on our YouTube channel. You can go back, watch any of them. Uh, Especially, I know some of our most popular ones are the equipment episodes. So if you ever want to go back and uh, check out any of those videos, they're all saved. Uh, Some of our videos are pre-recorded, like the one at the end of the month with Dylan O'Donnell. We just did that one. And uh, that's because of the time differences and stuff. But they are generally live. And if you ever want to go back and check them out, please do. Uh, if you like what you see here at the WhatsApp Up webcast, uh, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video, and uh, because that actually helps us keep this going. It lets us know what you guys like, and then we can adapt all of our, our content moving forward uh, to anything that you guys might be looking for. If you have an idea for a video, especially because we're getting ready to start looking at uh, the first quarter of next year, Uh, For episodes, please email your ideas to info at skywatcherusa.com. Title them, What's Up, so we know which ones to look for. And uh, with that being said, um, if you actually have an idea, if you've written into us before uh, an idea for an episode, we generally program these in quarters. So, like, everything for the next quarter of the year is already planned, but... Just because you sent an idea in and we don't do it in like the next two episodes, um, doesn't mean we're not going to do it, but we plan pretty far out for how these work. So be patient, we'll get to it. But we are always looking for ideas uh, for new episodes, so please send those in when you can. Now, if you want to subscribe to our email list, it lets you know what episodes we're doing. We email every week on what episode's going on. We're going to start doing monthly email blasts again as well. Um, we've got our new, um, marketing guy, Jared, you guys will hopefully get to meet him maybe in a future episode. Uh, we'll bring him on and hang out with Jared. Awesome. Awesome guy. Um, but if you want to keep up with what's going on, go to our website, skywatchusa.com look up at the top, right? And there is the subscribe and save. Normally we would send emails out about, uh, any sales that we're doing, but because you can't get anything right now, there's no sales. So anyway, that's what's going on there. Thank you for spending your Friday morning with us. And uh, I did mention this before when I was talking to myself a few minutes ago, that this Sunday, the 7th of November, is the time change. So, at least for all the rest of you, us in here Arizona, we don't observe that, which is awesome. But next week, everything is going to be shifted an hour. So, it's still 10 a.m. Pacific, but make sure you're aware that Everything is going to be moving an hour, so it's probably going to be offset for whatever your current time is right now, so just a reminder, and I know a lot of people are going to want to see next week's episode, and I'll tell you at the end what that's going to be, but uh, next week is when the time change occurs and affects the webcast, so remember that it's going to be offset by an hour, so yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let me jump back into what we're supposed to be doing. Um, So, let's start off with the brightest thing in the nighttime sky, the moon. And the moon, um, basically, new moon right now, the darkest part of the month, was November 4th. Yesterday or last night, um, maybe some of you are already out there observing Good for you. I wasn't, unfortunately. But this weekend, the 6th and 7th, we have very razor-thin Crescent, so this would be the darkest weekend of the month to get out and start viewing. Uh, especially if you want to grab any hint of the Milky Way, uh, this is kind of your last month or so that you're really going to be able to get it um, in the early evening. So now is the time to get out to that favorite dark sky of yours and check it out then the full moon for the month of course is november 19th and we've got some stuff going on with that particular full moon uh the full moon for the month of november is known as the beaver moon the beaver moon is gets its name from uh beavers preparing their lodges for the winter time it's also when uh native americans or early settlers would go out and actually hunt beavers for their fur or pelts Uh, To also prepare for the coldness of winter that would be coming um, shortly. So that is where it gets the beaver moon. If you ever want to know more about uh, full moon names, I always go to FarmersAlmanac.com. It's got all kinds of cool folklore and stuff about the full moons. I highly recommend it. Uh, So that's where we get all the information there. Now, being that it is a full moon, we also have a lunar eclipse visible this month. And this one's kind of strange, uh, because it's just, just barely not a total eclipse. Um, it is an exceptionally deep partial eclipse. Um, let me actually go to full screen here real quick so you guys can actually see this, um, in better, uh, resolution so this is uh timeanddate.com they are an awesome website you can actually go around and search whatever it is you want to see uh for future eclipses it gives you maps and all kinds of cool stuff so um everything in the key is down here if you really want to know how all that works but everything in this shaded reddish orange area is the eclipse Anywhere in that shaded area, you'll be able to observe some form of the eclipse. So pretty much the entire major portion of the Pacific will get it, some of Australia, some of southern or South America, China. Uh, but the deep red portion here is where you will get the majority or all of the eclipse. Um, so most of Mexico, most of the U.S., and most of Canada will be able to get this eclipse. Now... I don't know if I, I thought they had another chart there that showed more details on it. Uh, like, there we go. Okay. This is what I was looking for. This is just from where I'm at. Um, You can go on there and click that chart and actually, let me go back here. The thing I really like about time and date is that because they have this really interactive chart, you can go and basically click wherever you live and it will basically give you all the times that this is going to be visible and all the different uh, portions of the eclipse. So highly worth checking it out. So let's just go to LA. Uh, Let me go back here. So this is a partial eclipse, which means it's not going to be completely total. However, this one is extremely deep. Um, It just barely is a partial eclipse. And let me go through the time lapse here. So it's going to dip into the penumbra of the shadow where you'll start to see the darkening. And then it's going to dive into the umbra. And this is generally where the moon would turn red during an eclipse. And you can see right here it almost goes all the way in except for this real little thin slice. It just barely misses being a total eclipse. So it's going to be kind of an interesting one. Uh, I think it's well worth getting up and watching it a little bit Um, but yeah it's it's about the deepest partial eclipse you'll ever get Um, it's almost practically total but anyway that takes place November 19th you can go on uh, timeanddate.com look up the information click your location it'll give you all the information you'll want to know as far as times and when to view it and all that fun stuff all the different phases of when you can see it Uh, That is something that you can check out over at timeanddate.com. So that is November 19th. That's coming up. So that will be awesome. Now, uh, let's get to planets. I realized I was also leaving some of the dimmer planets out the last couple months. So we're going to get back into that. So right now, uh, Venus is nice and bright in the western sky. It's been up there for a while. I'm sure you've probably seen it floating up there. When you're driving home from work or you're just hanging out outside, if you look go out to the west you'll easily be able to see uh, Venus nice and bright right after the sun goes down. Um, here is, oh, where's my time clock? There we go. Uh, this is Stellarium. It's a free planetarium software that you can get online. So this is about 6 o'clock this evening. Venus is hanging out nice and bright out there in the west. Um, naked eye visible right now i don't remember what phase we're in so we're just just right around first quarter um, and as time goes by it's going to move closer and closer into a crescent it's an awesome little thing to look at in a telescope really any size aperture telescope can get a good view of venus um, put some high magnification on there about a hundred x or longer and you'll be able to check that out. So that is the planet Venus for us. Uh, Moving along, I'm actually doing this in order of distance from us, but it's not in order of how they appear in the sky. Next one is Jupiter. Jupiter right now is hanging out there. It's easy to see in a telescope right after dark. It's right after Venus. It's literally the brightest thing in the nighttime sky uh, floating out right over here. Um, not far from Saturn, the two are actually chasing each other. but yeah, Venus, uh, Saturn, and then Jupiter are all visible, naked eye planets right now. But Jupiter is very easy to see, <coughs> excuse me, uh, right now. So again, any small telescope can get out and view Jupiter. It's a fun planet to view because it rotates in ten hours. So, and there's so much detail to see. Uh, With the cloud bands, you can watch the moons change as they rotate, um, orbit around the planet. So really any size telescope with about 100 magnification or more um, will be able to to see that. So definitely worth checking out um, if you're looking to get out and observe uh, Jupiter. It's a fantastic planet to see. Um, One of the easiest ones to get out and observe. But unfortunately, Saturn usually takes the cake for a lot of people because of those rings and you can see these rings in really any size telescope saturn is also naked eye visible right after the sun goes down Um, it's visible for the early part of the evening it's usually gone by jupiter and saturn at this point are almost set by the time midnight rolls around um let's actually fast forward whoops it didn't obey me let's go back Boop. stop there we go sorry too fast uh, yeah so right after about midnight those two planets are out of the equation at this point so but now is a really good time to view it right after the sun goes down it's easy to get out there and start view- viewing Venus Saturn and Jupiter are both easy uh early object and that's going to continue into the holidays as well so, if you are lucky enough to be getting a telescope for the holidays, because you found one, um, it's a good time to get out and start viewing uh, those planets. Now, Uranus is also visible in the evening sky right now. It's one of the more challenging planets to see, and I don't have a good picture of it, so screenshot. And uh, Uranus right now is actually hanging out right over here, kind of opposite, not far from the Pleiades, um, on the opposite side of the eastern part of the sky, is where uranus is hanging out uh you can star hop to the planet uranus uh using a a dobsonian it's a little bit more challenging because it's not naked eye but once you're on the field of where uranus is actually at it is big enough to it doesn't look stellar um it doesn't look like a star it actually looks like a little sphere so it's easier to kind of pull out from the star field because it does have a different look than the rest of the field does and it looks like a you know baby blue ball and I think it's actually kind of neat to see because it's one of those planets that is so far out there that a lot of people don't think they can see it especially from a backyard uh, telescope but any major telescope you know four inch or bigger can get a good glimpse of that planet it's not too difficult to actually see once you're on it and if you've got a go-to mount it's usually not a big deal to find it either so that's the planet Uranus It's not terribly far away um, from the Pleiades, so it's rising later in the evening. You know, it's easy to get right after about 8 o'clock is the planet Venus. Now, we also have Neptune. Uh, Neptune is a bit more challenging than Uranus because it's so much further out there. It's also a lot smaller. Um, You could probably get that in a 4-inch telescope, but you're going to need some high magnification to make it look like a planet now if you've got something bigger like a six eight ten or larger telescope uh neptune should be a little bit easier to bring out detail on not so much detail on the planet but you can actually get it to look like a little blue ball um hanging out there but it's really neat to see it because of just how far it is out there and then a good challenge is if you can see triton neptune's largest moon um i've done it in my 16 inch dob years ago um but yeah, give it a shot. It's it's quite a thing to see, and it's a fun one to share with people because of it's just not a naked eye object. So, good luck in trying to see it. Uh, Neptune is actually earlier in the evening, uh, hanging out not far from there. We go right there. Boop. Um, it's just after Jupiter. So right as the sun goes down, you can go out and find Neptune. Very easy. Um, It's well positioned right now to maybe even get a picture of it. But it's a good one to go out and try hunting right now right as the sun goes down. Um, It's a nice challenge object to go observe. So those are all the major planets that are up right now. You have got Venus, naked eye visible, Saturn, Jupiter, all naked eye planets right after sunset. Easy to find. And then, of course, the two challenging ones will be Neptune and Uranus. Um which will be hanging out up there for the next few months as well. Uh, good luck trying to find those there, fun ones to go check on. I highly recommend you know trying to get them because it's, it's just something cool to do. Now the sun. The sun is a very cool object to see. Um, the activity on it's actually kicked up quite a bit over the last couple weeks. Uh, there's some sunspots up there if you have a hydrogen alpha telescope. Um, If you don't know a lot about hydrogen alpha solar filters, we did a whole episode last October about it, so go back to our episodes next year and check it out. Um, There's a lot of nice prominences, um, but it's worth keeping an eye out. If you're looking for kind of an observing project to do and you want something that's changing daily, the sun is the place to be, especially as we move into maximum over the next few years. Um, It's going to get progressively more active. Now, currently, uh, I like using this gong, uh, G-O-N-G. If you go type into Google G-O-N-G solar, it should bring you to the website. But this is uh, live, not live, but fairly up-to-date images from a lot of the solar observatories around the world. Um, You can see this one's not the best. Uh, Hawaii's is very sharp, and this is a big bear in California. But there's... uh, Some nice detail up there today. Um, There is a nice sunspot up there. There's another active region coming around. And there's a big filament and some uh, prominences on the sun there. So if you got a solar telescope, now's the time to go do it. Only observe the sun with the correct solar equipment. With true solar filters. Uh, Do not try to do it any other way. um, Because it will it will hurt your eyes you will go blind so i just have to mention that hopefully you know that but a lot of people don't um so anytime observing the sun please take absolute all measures of safety when doing that and if you don't know what you're doing then do your research and make sure you have the proper equipment to safely observe the sun correctly uh, so that's the sun uh, good luck with any of that uh, it's it has been been some nice stuff up there lately. So do recommend getting out, checking it out. Um, it's a very cool object to see and definitely worth observing, especially as we get further and further into maximum over the next couple of years. And we get more detail. That's it for the sun there. Let's move into meteor showers. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on as far as meteor showers this week or this month. Uh, so we have, there's two major meteor showers this month. There's the Taurids, and then there is the Leonids. Now the Taurids are actually broken up into two portions. There's the Southern Taurids, which are November 4th and 5th. So if you're going out to a dark sky site, you'll probably catch some of the uh, Taurid meteor shower. It's not a big meteor shower. Uh, so that's, you know, it's usually about five per hour. But maybe you'll catch something. Um and for the southern taurids, it's better place because we're on new moon weekend. Where the northern taurids, they peak at 11 and 12 of this month, which we're already in first quarter. So they might get washed out a little bit and set later into the evening when you'll probably catch them a little bit better. We also have the leonids. The leonids are later. Why is that? I thought I fixed that. Apologies there. Um, November 17th and 18th. Uh, is the Leonids, not October. We're not in October anymore. It's 15 per hour, but we're at a nearly full moon. This is like the day before the lunar eclipse. So not very well placed for the Leonid meteor shower this year. Um, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, Because that moon is going to be very bright uh, throughout the entire evening. So, yeah, that's just how it works. Comets. Um... Comets are constantly changing all the time. Let me bring up my... There we go. Uh, This is cometchasing.skyhound.com. I think it's the best uh, website to use when you're looking for comets. It's got notes on it and all kinds of stuff. There are some... Let me actually make this uh, full screen here so you guys can see this better. Uh, So this is a list of all the major comets that are somewhat visible northern or southern hemisphere it's just kind of how it works um and then down here it gives you all kinds of notes so there's kind of an interesting one the c2021 a1 leonard um it's in the northern hemisphere uh for those of us that are kind of you know we will just actually go to the find your charts in coma Berenices right now so it's a morning comet Uh, but this would be a good one it's about 10th magnitude right now so from darker skies you should be able to catch it with you know around an eight inch telescope it might be a bit of a challenge but if you've got some imaging gear you might be able to catch it in the morning um if you can find it and this is a northern hemisphere comet um then there's a bunch of other comets there you have one that's 9.5 and the nice thing about this is they have these nice finder charts. So you can actually blow these up. They're PDFs and you can actually check out where they're actually going to be. This comet right here on the 24th is actually going to be right near the whale in the hockey stick galaxy. So that might be a really cool photo op you've got right there. So definitely worth checking out. Um, But yeah, so they keep this up to date. This is comet Leonard at this point. Um, but yeah, it's going to have a cool photo op on the 24th of November near the whale and the Hockey Stick Galaxy over there in Coma Berenices. So that's kind of a cool thing to check out and see. And then if you want any other details about all these other visible comets, they're all there. They all have these really nice finder charts and some basic notes about when and where they're best visible. So I would definitely check it out. If this is something that you're interested in, if comets are something that you're interested in, this is where I would go to get any kind of details about that. It's uh, definitely worth it. This is the best web. And then, of course, if you have something like Sky Safari, you can get a better pinpoint you know, visually on exactly what and where that comet is. So uh, if you're wanting to know more, that's cometchasing.skyhound.com. It's updated frequently um, and gives you really cool notes of all the different comets that might be best visible right now to go out and try and observe. So good luck with that. Hopefully you can find something that you're looking for up there and it gives you some really neat, uh, imaging targets, uh, if you're looking for something cool. So I'll have to try this one on the 24th and see if we can try to catch it there. Might be an interesting one to see. So, uh, yeah, that's cometchasing.skyhound.com. A couple handful of little comets that are visible right now maybe something will brighten up and we'll get something cool Uh, but for now they all do require a a decent size telescope so that is all the comets uh for the month of november currently but keep an eye on it check it out and uh yeah go from there now my particular favorite uh topic of the month is deep sky targets now there are more deep sky targets up invisible right now than we even have remote time to cover but these are just a handful of easy targets and some weird obscure challenging targets that might be visible uh, depending on how dark of a sky you you've got and where you're working from so uh, we'll start easy and we'll kind of segue into the more challenging targets moving forward so this is the uh, first one is the double cluster NGC 869 and 884 this is in Perseus 7500 light years away very easy object to see and even most backyards um, it's just a fun you can see it in a finder scope a pair of binoculars it looks a little bit more impressive if you got a bigger aperture telescope to work with and then of course if you're just learning how to do imaging it's a easy easy target to shoot on because it's an open cluster of stars it doesn't need any narrow band it doesn't need a lot of exposure time you can work with it in a light polluted location it's just an easy thing to try out and and get and that's well placed right now in the northern hemisphere Um, i'm sure many of us have heard about it but if you're not familiar with it um, let me just labels constellations uh, star hop over here it's actually right here it's in the constellation of Perseus, technically, um, but it's right off Cassiopeia and Perseus right there. So, you know, if you can always find Cassiopeia, the two middle stars will point you basically right to where the cluster is. And if you are just happen to be in a dark sky site, it's practically naked eye visible as a little bright patch up in this area. And... It's a great object to see. It's very impressive in dark skies because it's just littered uh, with stars. It's a great target uh, to go out and observe, especially if you're new to astronomy. It's going to be up through the holiday months too, so it's a good target to go out and actually try to observe if you're just getting used to it. But it's also a fun one for the rest of us who might be doing this for a while. I think it's kind of a fan favorite for the month. Or for this season, just because it's easy. It's a great outreach target as well. Um, You kind of get two for one with both of those clusters. Now, probably the most well-known object in the entire autumn sky is Andromeda. Brightest galaxy we got here in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Two and a half million light years away. You can see this in any size optic. If you're in a dark sky site, it's a naked eye visible target. Looks like a patch of, you know, brightening uh, there. It's easy to see. It's actually really impressive in binoculars. If you've never had a chance in a dark sky site to take like a pair of 50 millimeter or bigger binoculars um, to Andromeda... You really should because I think it's one of the best views you'll get because you just see how immense the galaxy is in the sky because it's huge it is a big chunk of sky so a good uh, target to actually get out and view don't let you know aperture stop you from observing this because even in small telescopes it does a nice job Um, And a light polluted sky you would get something like the core you won't get much of the detail in the the arms But if you get to some basic dark sky sites uh, You'll be able to see a little bit more and then substantial dark sky sites uh, It's quite impressive and it's a neat object no matter what size telescope you've got You know if you've got a wide field telescope, it's nice to see the expansions of the arms if you got a big telescope and you can zoom in, you can pick out some details, maybe some of the larger globular clusters in the galaxy, which I should have put that up. I have a chart of a lot of globulars um, in there. But there's all kinds of cool stuff to see in Andromeda. It's an easy object to image as well. Uh, you can do it between 135 to 1,000 millimeters. Uh, it works great with visual light and one-shot color cameras. And then if you have the ability to shoot some hydrogen on it, h alpha it does have some star forming regions in it which will pop out with the h alpha filter installed and it's kind of a little splash of uh, color and detail that you can add to that but uh it is a very impressive galaxy here's the full frame shot there this was taken off of an esprit 150 full frame sensor uh native 1050 millimeter focal length um you'd really have to do like a four panel mosaic to really get all of this and then it has the companion galaxies of m32 and m110 and then of course if you just don't know where uh this is it's in the constellation of andromeda right off of the pegasus uh the big box of pegasus or the great square of pegasus um andromeda is easy to find Um, It's not hard to star hop. You can just go down to the star Mirac and then jump up two stars, and it's right off there. You can see it in a finder scope from most light-polluted backyards, and in a dark sky site, it's basically naked eye. So it's an easy one to actually find and check out. So that's M31, the Andromeda Galaxy. Definitely a favorite of most astronomers this time of year. Now, not far from Andromeda is another galaxy, M33, the Triangulum Galaxy um, in the constellation of Triangulum, which is how it got its name. It's about 3.2 million light years away. Uh, This one's a bit more challenging in light-polluted locations visually because it's fairly diffuse. It's not as uh, well-structured as Andromeda is with the dust lanes and the bright core. Uh, You might be be able to see some kind of nebulous-looking thing from a backyard but if you really want to get the details and the the subtle structures of m33 you need to get to a darker location that's really where it's at because of how diffuse um and nebulous this galaxy is in comparison to you know something more detailed like andromeda is Um, you could probably see this in a pair of binoculars in the darkest of skies Uh, But a 4-inch telescope or larger will do a nice job. And if you really want to get down to, like, the rinky-dink details in there, um, some of the H2 star-forming regions, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, It's a very cool galaxy to see. It's not hard to find because it's very close to Andromeda. Um, You can star-hop to it, but it is a bit more challenging than Andromeda is. Uh, imaging it's is doable from town um, you can do a wide variety of focal lengths uh, as you can see here on the screen that's a thousand millimeter um, with a full frame sensor you could go down to something like a crop sensor uh, to get all of that and it would still frame it really nicely um, but if you've got some about 800 millimeters or so with a crop sensor uh, easy easy shooting for something like that even in town you could get some nice stuff now, just like Andromeda, it does have some star-forming regions, which will pop out in H-alpha. Um, and here's an example of that. Here is a H-alpha monochrome image. Uh, this is only like an hour worth of data. Uh, but you can see all the the frequencies that are popping out through that particular filter. So there is some neat detail, which you can then apply on top of your color images. and you know, it'll just going to pop out that star-forming region even more. So it's definitely worth... Uh, maybe adding a little bit of H2, or I'm sorry, H-alpha to that image if you've got the ability to do so. Another big one that's coming up, its you can actually see this naked eye from most urban environments because uh, of how bright it is. This is M45, the Pleiades Cluster. This is in the constellation of Taurus. This is really a staple this time of year. It's easy to see. Looks great in a pair of binoculars or small telescopes, and um, even in a larger telescope, it's kind of interesting if you can get uh, more detail out of it, but it is an easy thing that you can do from town, and it gets very impressive from dark sky sites because there's just an abundance of stars all over the cluster, and maybe you'll even get some of the the faint uh, reflection nebula, the nebulosity that's inside of there. That's a reflection nebula, so that's dust that's reflecting that starlight, now, because that is a reflection nebula, that is not narrowband. H uh, alpha O3 S2 filters do nothing for these types of nebulas. Only visible light or one shot color. Uh, this was done off of an Esprit 100 with a ZWO 6200 one shot color. Uh, and then there's also a ton of background nebulosity in this region as well. So if you're looking for something cool, uh, this one's really neat to see. And it's really just kind of, like I said, a staple for this time of year. Here's the full frame uh, setup here. And I actually want to go to full screen here real quick so you guys can see this. Uh, so this is full frame, uh, 550 millimeter focal length, uh, Spree 100, ZWO 6200. So this is kind of the field that you're going to be looking at. You can see how abundant that field is. But even if you double that focal length, if we went up to 1000 Millimeter at full frame, you can still fit a majority of that cluster on there um, with some really nice detail. You're going to get some higher resolution there, but that's a very uh, interesting uh, capability that you can get there. Um, it looks cool in different focal lengths, so definitely try it out. And if you go even wider than that 550, you're just and you're in a good spot where you can get the extended nebulosity. You will get all kinds of other dust and detail in there um, if you process that correctly. Um, now that we have this big fancy new computer, we might do like a processing episode. Um, I Especially for like faint nebulas and stuff like that, we might have to show how to do some tips and tricks on that. Because I notice a lot of people tend to clip the blacks on their astrophotography images. And you can do whatever you want, more power to you. But when you're shooting subtle details like this... It's easy to bury some of that detail. So if you're interested in learning how to process some of these really faint and subtle detail uh, things, let us know if you want to see that episode, and maybe we'll do that next year. So um, something neat there. Now, uh, moving on, we have another nebula Uh, NGC 1499, the California Nebula. This is also in Perseus. There's a lot of weird stuff up in Taurus and Perseus and Cepheus and stuff like that. All those uh, things up there. This is the California Nebula, a thousand light years away. This is very faint. You definitely need dark skies and a really wide field, something like 500 millimeters focal length with a low power eyepiece and it really would do best with a UHC or even better yet an H beta filter because it's very active in the hydrogen wavelengths Um, it's basically hydrogen all the way through so an H beta filter will help you pop this out it's one of the objects that are best suited for an H beta filter but you are going to need dark skies if you want to visually catch it now if you want to do imaging you can do it with visual light um, but it's an excellent narrowband target. So, this is taken with a uh, 200 millimeter Canon telephoto lens from my backyard, like a couple years ago, actually, at this point. And it's all hydrogen. So, a very cool object. You know, there's a lot of extensions there, but that's just something basic that you can do from the house and get some really cool structures there. I might have to try doing that again sometime, um, just because it's something easy that you can do. Um, from that but that's the California Nebula if you don't know where that's at um, it's it's actually all kind of up in this region it's not far from the Pleiades actually uh, okay there's the there's the Pleiades and uh, the California Nebula is right there it's also known as LDN 1469 or unless that's referring to this little chunk there but that's California Nebula in Perseus. It's about halfway between M45, the Pleiades, and Murfak. Um, So we'll get to that. Uh, there is a question from Mitch. What's a good magnification for the Pleiades? Uh, it really depends on the focal length of the telescope. Uh, actually, it pretty much depends on the focal length of your telescope um, and what kind of look you want to get. So you might have to play with that normally something low power like a 35 millimeter or 25 millimeter is a good way to frame it up but um i like using a website called astronomy tools and it, you can plug in their calculator all your eyepieces and your telescope focal length and it'll show you how it all matches up really nicely there but that's something i would take a look at there just because i don't know what telescope you're using um, But generally, something in the lower power uh, part of the eyepiece line, you know, probably 20 or lower is probably what I would stick with. But again, that depends on the focal length of the main telescope being used. So I don't know how helpful that was, but hopefully that gives you somewhere to go. Uh, Next up, M1, the Crab Nebula. This is in Taurus. This is a supernova remnant. Big, you know... Detonation of an old star. Um, this is a really neat one. I haven't had a lot of time to really image this one. This was just some data I had on a whim, but this does actually, uh, you can catch it from suburban skies. It's a lot smaller than you think. And it's about, I would probably say it's more towards the six inch side or larger as far as telescope observing it. Um, a UHC filter if you really need to, but in dark skies, it should be easy to catch. Um, the Neat thing about the um, crab nebula is it has like this Structurous sections around it uh, Molting or whatever you want to call it This cage-like structure Um, You need large aperture stuff to see that High magnification and dark skies to catch something like that But if you just want to see the fuzz of M1 uh, You can catch it from moderately dark skies It's not difficult to find Um, Imaging you could easily do it from in town, uh, Light, and it actually does really well under narrow band, particularly like Oxygen 3 and H-Alpha, so that would be a cool one to try and catch there um, if you could. This one would be something where you could do a color image like you see here and do some H-Alpha to bring out the kind of that structure again because a lot of the outer lying regions of this are mostly in that wavelength of hydrogen, so something to check out. Uh, But that is M1, an awesome object up in Taurus, about a thousand light years away. Here's the full shot um, right there. You can see a lot of that structure there. I'll probably have to go back and add some time on that uh, image to see what else I can pull out. We'll probably bring this one up again next month as well, um, just because it's going to be, it's just starting to rise. So it's in Taurus, uh, but there's some other crazy things up there too that we need to try and talk about. Uh, NGC 253, the Sculptor galaxy, real big, big galaxy, 12 million light years away. Um, it's actually impressively big. Um, it's not like Andromeda huge, but, um, it's a, it's a lot larger than I think people think. Um, you can see it in a four inch telescope, but in a dark sky and like a big dob, it looks like a big old submarine, um, in the, uh, view there. Now, this one's actually hanging out um, down here in the south, and it's really going to depend on how dark your location is. Not how dark, I'm sorry, but it's really going to depend ultimately on how low to the south you can get. Now, if you're, this is an, I have this set to Arizona, we're 33 degrees latitude, Um as you move further north, especially if you're up in Canada, this will probably be a very difficult thing to catch because of how low it sits on the horizon. Even here from the southern US, it doesn't sit all that high, so the imaging window, observing window is pretty low, um, and we don't get it very long either. So, But it's a large galaxy, uh, very nice structure in it, and definitely worth uh, checking out if you can find it from a dark sky site with a really good southern horizon. It's an awesome object to see just because of how big it is. It's it's kind of striking just compared to a lot of the other galaxies that you see. It's it's a lot larger than you expect. So uh, that is uh, Sculptor NGC 253. That's of course in the Scul- constellation of Sculptor uh, down there in the southern horizon, uh, hanging pretty low down there. Now uh, something that's really just odd and a big big challenge target if you really want to do it this is lbn 762 in aries i don't know the distance and i don't know how doable it is as a visual target because this thing is super faint Um, i'm sure if you actually spent some time with a large enough aperture and sat on this particular uh, field that you might carefully be able to pull out some of the brighter knots visually, but you probably need a fairly big telescope, you know, maybe a 15 inch or larger, um, something like this, exceptionally dark skies would probably be needed for any remote chance of seeing it visually. Um, and there's no major filter that would help you with this. It's just straight, dark, transparent skies and about as much aperture as you can throw on it. Um, Imaging, again, this is a super challenging target imaging-wise. It's dark skies all the way, extremely strong uh, luminance or very sensitive one-shot color camera like a modern-day one-shot color with a fair amount of time to pull this out. This is a particular object you're going to spend hours um, trying to integrate all that together because of how faint it is it is not really a narrow band you might be able to pull something out with hydrogen because there's probably some amount in there but it would probably be very minor so really this is just a one-shot color or visible light uh, object I don't know that we I don't know if it even comes up Honestly, in here, let's see. I've never done it. Stellarium. There we go. It's not far from the Pleiades. uh If you ever take a wide enough shot of the Pleiades nebula or cluster, you'll find that there's a ton of nebulous detail floating up in this region, like Dark Flex Nebula, all kinds of awesome stuff in there. I love that stuff. But yeah, it's hanging out up here in the Constellation of Ares. Um, kind of between the Pleiades and Cetus and Ares. Kind of out here in almost no man's land. But it's a very cool object. I've heard it called the Drunken Dragon Nebula before. But it's true. Title is LBN 762. If you're looking for a, a wide field, this is taken at 1000 uh, millimeters. From the remote observatory, uh, skies away. Remote observatory is where the telescope is uh, seated and observes from. It's a Bortle 2 class sky out there, um, but that is floating out there. This took several nights to actually shoot, but it's a good. That would be my challenge target for the month uh, there. So with that, that pretty much wraps up today. If you like what you see here, go to uh, our YouTube page, hit subscribe, uh, leave a like on a video. We really appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with us every Friday. Um, But yeah, thanks for hanging with us. If you have any uh, ideas for a future episode or just questions on any basic stuff, you can always reach out to us through our various ways of getting a hold of us. Uh, next week remember the time is changing next week but we are doing a web uh, episode on the az gti go to mount one of our most popular little mounts out there Uh, we're going to be covering that so join us next week Uh, that is going to be an hour shifted forward so just remember whatever the start time is for you now it's going to be about an hour later, I believe is how that works. So make sure if you want to watch that episode live, just make sure, you know, the time changes there. So uh, we'll see you next week for that. And if you got any questions now, now's the time uh, to ask away. Oh, um, if I could just take a moment here real quick. Uh, we've had some people ask about the virtual star parties um, that I used to do like a year or so ago. And... At the end of it, I I stopped doing them because I was doing them too frequently. Well, now we have our remote telescopes um, out at Skies Away. And um, with that being uh, said, I'm going to try to pull something up here. Yeah, it's not going to let me do that. Um, With that being said, we're actually going to do uh, probably once a month now virtual star parties. So that's going to be on my Focus Astronomy page next Friday at... 9 p.m. or I'm going to post it up here soon, but we'll post it and we'll talk about it there. But next Friday on the 12th, we're going to be doing our first uh, monthly virtual star party. That's going to be at my uh, Focus Astronomy page there. So if you want to be a part of that, you want to join us. uh, We're going to be streaming live from our remote telescope, um, the one that takes all those crazy pictures. So join us for that. We'll be happy to have you on. That's next Friday on the 12th uh at the focus astronomy youtube page for that we'll talk about that uh next week and then of course we're doing the az gti episode as well next friday morning Uh, i know there's a couple questions floating out in here we already talked about magnification for the Pleiades. uh the next one is general filter slash imaging question i often use a hyperstar on my nine and a quarter edge hd and a canon camera is it better to use a clip-in filter Um, in the camera, or a two-inch on the Hyperstar. I don't know that it matters all that much. Um, A Hyperstar is a very fast optical system. So, uh, let me just... You guys don't need to see this anymore. There we go. It's a fairly fast optical system. And the one thing that I could think of being an issue, especially if it's like a Canon DSLR, is the sensor sits pretty deep inside of the body of a Canon and with the light cone being steep, sometimes it can get clipped by the body of the camera, that little channel that the sensor sits inside of where the light comes through the lens and goes to the body. Um, That box kind of around the sensor there might clip the light a little bit, so it might be better to use a two-inch filter ahead of the camera so it opens up the aperture a little bit and doesn't further clip anything um the other reason i like using two inch filters with a hyperstar is you can get a filter drawer and you can just slide filters in and out whenever you want you don't have to disassemble everything and pull anything out and stuff like that and then if and when you upgrade from your dslr or your canon sony whatever it is and you go to a dedicated camera having those large standardized filters means you can just move those into a filter wheel uh, at a later date if you wanted to do it. Or you could use it on another camera. The clip-in filters are great, but they're specialized for your particular camera. And if you ever change from that camera, then the filters go with it. So rather than having to buy the filter twice, Just get a two-inch filter, put a filter drawer in there, and then if you switch cameras, you can take that whole set of filters and move it to whatever the new camera is. So I'm not a big fan of having to buy something again. Um, So hopefully that helps. I think that was the only question out there. Um, That kind of wraps up everything for this week. Uh, Join us next Friday for the AZ-GTI episode. Have a good weekend. It's New Moon weekend. Go out, check it out. Have a good time observing. We're always looking for you to share your images with us, too. Uh, So you can always email those over to us as well. We'd love to see them. Uh, So with that being said, thanks very much, everyone. Uh, Sorry for the weird start this morning. We'll try to clip that out. And uh, other than that, have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you guys next Friday. Take care, everyone. Bye.